Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Just want to read a few verses of scripture uh, there this morning, starting with verse number, verse number thirteen, Matthew sixteen and verse number thirteen. Amen. And it's already up there for you all. I was turning to it, so I guess I'll just read off the screen. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, "Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?" And they said, "Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or." one of the prophets he saith unto them but whom say ye that I am verse number 16 and Simon Peter answered and said thou art the Christ the son of the living God skipping down now to verse number 18 I believe it is we can do that and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it again this morning our subject matter is the church amen let's go to the lord in prayer father i come to you right now i pray lord that you're able to help us today lord as we look lord in this last lesson lord of this series concerning lord the concept and the idea lord of the church i pray jesus help us to be that and more God in our lives and in this place I know God that you're able God to help us you're able to strengthen us Lord Jesus God through and by your word and we'll thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen you may be seated this morning the church the church the church the church amen the church had really a beginning and it's, it's going to have an ending. The church is. This concept and idea of a church. And some of this may sound a little familiar to you because some of the things we'll hit on today are some things that we've said from time to time on Wednesday nights concerning the church. It has a beginning and it has an ending. We understand that whenever Jesus Christ came to walk upon this earth and that the Jewish people did not see him, recognize him, and some even rejecting him, if you will, as their Messiah, that God just didn't shut his whole system of operation down as a result of that. Amen. He had a plan from the very beginning, that, and that was the church. The church uh, was going to be a part of his plan. It was a mystery. It was a mystery throughout time until really the New Testament Scripture. It was called a mystery, the church of the living God. Uh, there's really been nothing revealed too much about it in the Old Testament until we get into the New Testament. But God basically pulls back the veil, if you will, and says, I'm going to show you something that you've never seen before. I'm going to show you uh, my plan and my idea of the church. It's God's plan. It's God's program. Uh, the church is and it had its beginning as a matter of fact here in Matthew chapter 16 that we read to you this morning is the first place that you'll find the word church mentioned in scripture in this place Jesus is with his disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi and he's asking them a question about who do men say that I am and they give their uh, their feedback from what they have heard men call Jesus Christ some say that you're a prophet some say that you're John the Baptist or Elias which is Elijah or uh, some say this or some say that and Jesus took all of that in and then he asked more particularly well who who do you say that I am and Peter pipes up with with great 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 uh, as he is he's just kind of boisterous and just just kind of shoots at the hip he says thou art the Christ the son of the living God and one thing in that I think is very important is that what Christ wants to know more than what other people think of him, he wants to know what you are thinking of him. Uh, what everybody else's idea or concept is about them, he wants to know what your concept and idea is about him. And so Peter spoke up and the answer that he gave was right. The answer that he gave was true. And Christ told him, he said, then upon this rock, and it was not as some tried to draw the line it was not that Christ was telling Peter upon you Peter I'm going to build my church uh, I, I dare to believe God would know he would never build his church upon a man 
a fleshly man that's prone to failure, prone to mistake. No, no. But he says, upon this rock, and that rock was the revelation that Peter had of who Christ was. Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that concept that I am the living God, uh, I'm going to build my church upon that. And so Jesus said, upon that, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to build it upon who I am, not upon who you are. It's going to be founded upon Christ. Uh, Another place in Scripture, the Bible says that we are built upon the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Christ said, I'm building my church upon myself. And that in part and parcel explains why the gates of hell cannot prevail against it because we are built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one that is the first and the last, the one that is from everlasting to everlasting, that word that was made flesh, that eternal spirit, if you will. The church is built upon that. Amen. It's not built upon a man's philosophy or a man's idea. It's a God idea. Amen. The church is a God idea. Amen. And so that is what it's built upon. And being built upon that, it's something that's unshakable. It's something that's unmovable. It's undeniable. Uh, As Bishop said, I think a few weeks ago, speaking of Scripture, said there is no variableness in him, neither is there any shadow of turning. The church is built upon that it's built upon the Lord Jesus Christ and so it is unshakable a revelation about who he is and nothing's going to stop the church nothing's going to stop the church I know we have churches uh, dispersed across America but while you have churches and people that congregate together in buildings all across America there's only one church and I'm not talking about Rome either there's only one church That's the church of the living God and that church is only built upon him and not not the ideas or ideologies of a man, amen, but upon Christ Jesus, amen. And so he brought this new plan, amen, to the earth, this idea, this concept of a church because Israel, the nation of Israel, had continually rejected Christ, had rejected him as their Messiah. And so for a a, a period of time, he's kind of deterring around Israel and he's reaching out to whosoever will, Jew, Gentile, uh, Samaritan, uh, Ethiopian, whosoever will, that they can be born into this thing called the church. Because while Israel is rebelling for a period of time, he is still reaching Amen. For people to be born again of the water and the spirit. The church is different than what he had extended to Israel. Israel, you had to be a person that was born into an Israelite family in order to be an Israelite. It was a physical birth that you had to be born into. Amen. In order to have the religious heritage of an Israelite. And so Jews are a physical race of people. But the church is not just a physical race of people because in the church you have Jew and Gentile and Samaritan, you have Chinese, Japanese, Asian, Russian, you have all these different nationalities and races and creeds of people that's baptized by one spirit into one body called the church. And so you're not born into this by a physical means, but you're born into it by a spiritual means and you come a part of the church. Jesus said, he said, he said, I will build my church Amen. He says, I will build my church. Amen. I'm glad that's his church because I, 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 sometimes as individuals we can become frustrated thinking that we're building a church. But in reality, he's the one building the church. Amen. He's the one building the church and the church is going to have a future because he says, I will build my church. Not only will, will I do it today, but I will do it in the future as well. And anybody knows a building is going to take time. Whenever you talk about building something, you're talking about a process. You're talking about something that's going to take time. It it just doesn't happen in an instant. Uh, It's built over time. It's not just spoken into existence as some of the things were during creation, but it takes place over time. Not just in a moment, not just in a day, but it takes time. Now, I do say that Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, that was a real good start for building the church. 
with 120 and 3,000 at the daisy and added to that uh, that was born again of the water and the spirit. That was a real good foundation, if you will, to get the church started on. But the church didn't stop at Pentecost. The church is still growing. The church is still being built, if you will, and it will continue to do so until rapture day. It will continue to do so until that trump of God sounds. And as a result of all this, we have in Matthew 16, 19, continuing with those verses, verse 19 says, Christ says, and I will give unto thee, speaking to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says, he says Peter, you, you had this revelation of who I am. Upon that revelation, I'm building my church, but I'm going to give to you, these apostles, if you will, some keys of the kingdom. Amen. And when you have keys, you have access. When you have keys, you have access. You have the ability to lock and unlock doors. You, and God's saying, Peter, I'm giving you access to my kingdom program here. Uh, I'm giving you access to some things. And I believe wholeheartedly some of those keys of access that were given to Peter is what he shared with everybody in Acts 2.38 about repentance, water baptism, and spirit baptism. Because those are truly keys of and to the kingdom of God. For you cannot enter into the kingdom of God or inherit the kingdom of God unless you have those keys of repentance, water baptism, and spirit baptism. Amen. And so he gave him those keys that they would have access to the kingdom of God. And so the church, as a result of that, has access. The church has access to the kingdom of God. Amen. And there's something absolutely imperative uh, the enemy of our soul is always trying to deter the original plan of the church. Amen. How does the enemy do that? He does that with false doctrine. He comes in and tries to sow a seed of false doctrine. The Bible says that in the last days that there will be all kinds of winds, as it were, of doctrine that will be blowing and what they will try to do is come along and try to whisk you away from the truth. Whisk you away from uh, those, those important elements in order to go and be a part of the kingdom. Make you tell you that it doesn't take all that or it doesn't involve all of that. In the last days as the church is nearing an end because it's going to be raptured. The enemy of our soul is going to try to deter hearts and souls of people that are a part of the church. Saying it doesn't take all of that to be a part of the church. In order to deter them. Why? Because our adversary will know that his time is very short concerning what type of influence he can have over the church. His whole concept, let's have as, as least as people possible go on rapture day. But Christ has another agenda. Let's see how many people as possible we can get to go on rapture day. Amen. He, he said that there will come a time that anything that can be shaken will be shaken. I believe it's the time that we're living in. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And that which shall not be shaken shall remain. And so we got to understand who we are concerning the church. And so I, I, I admonish you, don't, don't, don't fall prey to these things that are called a new revelation and a new doctrine that you might hear coming around about you. Uh, there, there is no new thing under the sun. Amen. He has written it a time here in his word and it was good for the apostles and prophets and it's still just as well good for you and I. Amen. And so we need to just stay, amen, to these, 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 these doctrines, amen, that make the church what the church is. One thing is for sure, and I've said this statement before, but Christ, he is not coming back for less than what he left. You hear me? He had those apostles, those disciples that had this great experience and all the things he had, if you will, this, this church doctrine, amen, that he, he, he brought to them, amen, and gave to them and instructed them. He's not going to come back for a church that is anemic. In other words, he's not coming back for a church that's less than what the first church was. Amen. The first church was. He's coming back for a church with that same type of power. 
He's coming back for a church with that same type of demonstration. He's coming back for a church with that same type of faith, ardent faith in the things to be forgotten. He's not coming back for something less. If he was going to do that, he would just take in what he had right then. Not coming back for something less. Amen. He's not looking for it to be, he's not coming back for something feeble, for something that just barely haphazardly trying to make it by. He's coming back for his church, the people upon whom his name is called. Amen. He's coming back after them. Amen. And I want to be a part of that number. Amen. The church in essence, when we speak about the church, now I might not be a physical Jew, but in essence I am a spiritual, a spiritual Jew. Because the church is a body of people, although they may vary in their race and vary uh, in their nationality, it is a body of people that scripture speaks of that have been grafted into God's people of Israel, the Jews. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 15, for if the casting away of them, and the them is reference to Israel, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them, Israel, be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now this makes sense. If you have a holy root, you have holy branches. Because it's not the branch that bears the root. It's the root that bears the branch. And if some of the branches be broken off, thou, speaking of the church, being a wild olive tree. That's what he's speaking the church as. The church was as a wild olive tree. We're grafted in among them. Them who? The children of Israel. The Jews who were Jews by physical birth. And with them Israel partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches. But if thou, the church, boast, thou, the church, Bearest not the root, Israel, but the root, here it is, Israel, is what bears thee, the church. Amen. In other words, he says, don't, don't boast against the Jews. Don't, don't talk about what you have and they don't have. Because remember, for at this time, they have kind of have blindness in part. They're not receiving Christ as the Messiah. He says, but let me show you an example. He says, let's just say that a wild olive branch is grafted into an olive tree. He's given them an example of what happens when we're born again of the water and of the Spirit. When you're born again of the water and the Spirit, it's, yes, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, but we're also likened to that water wild olive branch or olive tree a Gentile as it were that's grafted into the tree or the family tree of God the family of the Jews whenever we're born again of water and spirit that takes us back to the original trunk Abraham the father of the Jews and that grafts us in to the family of Abraham the original root if you will. And so with that being said, whatever nutrients, whatever benefits the root gets, it distributes to all of its branches. If we become grafted into that trunk, then all of the promises then of Old Testament Israel even become our promises, amen, because although we were not born into this by physical birth, we were born into it by spiritual birth and grafted in. We were made a part of the tree. And so whenever that happens, the promises that he proclaimed over them, amen, can become the promises that are proclaimed over us as well. So I don't just have New Testament promises, but I even have some Old Testament promises as well because I've been grafted into the tree. The Bible says in Romans 4.16, speaking to the Gentiles, that Paul says that Abraham is the father of us all. In the New Testament, he speaks that. To the New Testament church, he speaks that. How is that so? Because we've been grafted in to the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've been grafted into that family. The Bible says in Galatians 3, verse number 7, Brother Zach, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee 
shall all nations be blessed. And so the Bible says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. In other words, it's just giving us an explanation how Abraham can be the father of us all and how it was even spoken to Abraham in his day of thee all nations shall be blessed. And that's going beyond talking about then the children that would come from Jacob and the 12 tribes. No, it's speaking about even today, every nationality that is in existence can be blessed through Father Abraham if you're born into the family and grafted into this tree, the, the wild olive tree us and and the natural olive tree that of Abraham and the Jews and Israelites us being grafted in then we're blessed then even by the legacy of Abraham and we enjoy some of the the Abrahamic blessings amen from the Old Testament scripture so the olive tree which is Israel is God's program if you will of blessing those that are attached to or a part of it See, what happened, Israel's branch in so many measures was cut off due to unbelief, all right? And the Gentile church, that's using you and I, we were grafted in as a new branch. So now what God has grafted in as a new branch is what we call the church. And the church, though, again, is made up of Jews and Gentiles who've come to Christ uh, Samaritans come together to form a new body, amen. Even though most uh, perhaps believers today may not be perhaps Jewish, we are still enjoying the Abraham blessing even in covenant of the Old Testament. God told Abraham in Genesis again, 12, 3, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So I'm not just blessed because I got the Holy Ghost, I am I am blessed because I have the Holy Ghost and I am blessed because I've been baptized in Jesus' name, but I'm also blessed because I've become a part of the family of Abraham, amen. But now instead of the blessing going through Israel, the blessing is coming to the church because the church has been grafted in and to the root of Abraham. In the Old Testament time, God made a covenant with Abraham. The way that his people were known was that they were to take a token or a covenant between God and Abraham and the token or the sign of their covenant was something called circumcision. It was a mark upon the people of Israel to indicate their covenant with God. And so Abraham, even after he was well in age, was circumcised and circumcised his son Isaac. And it was bearing forth then the covenant of promise that Abraham shared with God. And so every, everyone that was born from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, amen, would follow through with this covenant sign of circumcision indicating that they were God's people. Genesis 17 and verse number 10 states, this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you so here it is this is just a token this is a sign and a symbol of the covenant that's between me and you well this is very similar there is a similar thing for the church as a sign or a token of the covenant within the New Testament scripture. It is not the Old Testament sign of circumcision, but they parallel it to the Old Testament sign of circumcision. In Colossians 2 and verse number 11, the Bible says, in whom also, that is in Christ, ye are circumcised, he's speaking to the church, with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, what Paul is explaining here, the church, Old Testament Jew, they had the sign of circumcision that denoted their covenant relationship with God. He said the New Testament church has a sign of circumcision that's made without hand and what that is, being baptized in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the New Testament circumcision, amen, for the church. That whenever that happens, that is a sign. That is an indication of the covenant relationship between God and his 
church. Can someone say amen? Amen. amen. Whenever we continue now, he says, okay, that's, that indicates the covenant relationship. But then in Romans 11, Romans 11, see, Paul's explained how we're grafted in, amen, through and by baptisms, spirit and water. But now he tells us how we're to act. In Romans eleven nineteen, he says, that will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. The church is saying this. Israel and blind in part so that the church can be brought in. It says, well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. So the admonition comes from the apostle Paul. He says, don't be high-minded. He says, but fear. He's telling us, he's saying, Christians should be the most humble people. Christians should be some of the most humble people. They should not be high-minded. They should not be heady. They should be some of the most humble people of all the earth but we should not think that we're better than anybody amen for in essence we're not better than anybody it is just God's grace and his love that we have been able to experience in our life I am what I am because of him not of anything of my own self or what I have done but because of him and so the church in essence is nothing more but just an extension of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's the reason why he puts parameters on how the church should conduct themselves because they're an extension of him. Hear me? We're a a representative of him. And so he puts those parameters there because they should act as I act because they're an extension of who I am. Amen, an extension of something. Whenever we, we have ambassadors today that go to foreign countries and such that represent the United States, well, there's a certain way that they carry themselves and a certain level of character that they must have because when they're going to these different places and to these embassies, they are not representing themselves. They are representing the United States and everything that it has. And to act out of character is to misrepresent what they stand for. Amen. And so the church, there's certain perimeters put upon us because we are representatives of something greater than us, higher than us. Amen. That's the reason why the church must be alive. The church must be alive. I'm representing Christ. And as far as I know, death only lasted for a few days in the tomb. He's alive. Amen. The church must not be weak. It must be powerful. Why? I'm representing Christ. Amen. All power is given to him in heaven and earth. And so I got to somehow example that in my own life because I'm a part of this thing called the church. I'm just an extension of Jesus Christ. And listen what the Bible says about Christ Jesus. The Bible describes him in ways. It speaks of him as being a shepherd, a vine, a cornerstone, the high priest, the head of this body called the church, the author of the new creation, the bridegroom, Now listen to some of the symbols that's given concerning the church. The church is an athlete, a body, branches, a bride, a building, a candlestick, its lampstands, a family, a farmer, its lights, its priest, its pearls, its salt, its sheep, its lambs, its soldiers, its stalwarts, its lively stones, its a temple, its a vessel, its a wife, its wheat. The church. Everybody say the church. The church. Now, out of all these metaphors that is used concerning the church in Christ, there are three that are probably uh, major uh, that are very much so concentrated on uh, throughout the Scripture. Number one, the Bible speaks a lot of the bride. Everybody say the bride. The bride of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ that is going to wear his name for all of eternity. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. And just for anybody that gets a, a, you know, this idea in this stage of bride, bridegroom, uh, you can miss out and abandon your relationship with him. You're not married to him yet. You're engaged to be married. Which in Old Testament times... Uh, to be betrothed to someone which was basically engaged to be married was just just as important as the marriage itself. 
Amen. Hallelujah. And so, so you, you are engaged to be married. Amen. See, Israel in the Old Testament was called the wife of God. In the New Testament, the church is called the bride of God. Amen. The called out one. So we're living right now. You've heard me say in our Revelation study, we're living in an age or a dispensation called the church age. And that's where God, that's where God will visit the Gentiles. That's us. And God will take out of them a people for his namesake. That's what Acts 15, 14 tells us. That he'll take out a people from the Gentiles for his namesake. And so Jesus oftentimes likens the church also, amen, not, not just a bride, but a bride that is waiting for her wedding day. Mm-hmm. You know what? Those of you that have been brides or now you have a sons and daughters that have grown up and now they're getting married. What, what is constantly upon the mind of a bride? Her wedding day. What is that bride constantly doing? She is constantly making preparations for the wedding day. If there's any expenses that are going to happen between time of engagement and time of marriage, finances are going to be pushed toward the wedding day. A bride waiting is a bride in preparation mode to make sure everything that needs to be done gets done before that day arrives. And if we are the bride of Christ and we are waiting for marriage day, the church needs to be crossing every T, dotting every I, sparing no expense, our minds constantly consumed with the coming of the bridegroom. We should go to bed thinking about it, raise our heads thinking about it, Oh, someone hear me right now. You know what the bride does during those days? Her love for that groom does not wane. It becomes that much stronger. She wants to spend more time with him than what she's ever spent with him because she's going to spend the rest of her life with him. If that's the case, if that's the metaphor, the church should be just wanting to spend more time with him, talk with him more than ever before. Hallelujah. Amen. When her mind, wife and I, after we got engaged and, and our wedding was going to be approaching, we got get engaged in the month of July. On July the 4th of 1997, we were to be married then on November the 8th of 1997. My wife lived in Tennessee. She lived in Tennessee. But she knew that her wedding day was coming in November, that there was going to need to be some preparation, things that we're going to have to get in order prior to that day getting there. Now listen to me. She moved 350 miles from Tennessee, all that she had known, her mom and her dad, everything else, to get closer to where her groom was to make preparations. Somebody understanding some of the parallels I'm trying to throw out here today? Amen. She was at that moment in time, sister, of engagement. She says, I can't be this far from my groom. We got too many plans that got to be made for whenever all this happens. I'm going to get closer to him rather than further away from him. I implore you today, this is not the hour to get further away from God. This is not the hour to get cold and indifferent. This is not the hour to just put up a flimsy hand. This is an hour that you should have an ardent affection and love and compassion for your Savior. We are a bride and the wedding day is just a little ways off folks we must be ready the bride the bride hallelujah <laughs> the Bible says in Ephesians 5 23 for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. So the parallel that's being made here is that as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ. So Christ is the husband, so to speak, of the church that is us. That's becoming the bride. 
Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In other words, since we are the bride of Christ, we are to be submitted and controlled by him. All right, with all respect, amen. In other words, you do that which is pleasing to your spouse. You've all been there. You've done that. If you've had any type of marriage from year one through wherever you are now, you do things to please the other. All right? Amen. Mm -hmm. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There was a price that he paid for the church, the bride. We were in bondage, but Christ paid for our redemption. Out Calvary. The Bible tells us in Acts that he purchased the church with his own blood. You know, the amazing thing is we've had all kinds of, of, uh, of substitutes through Old Testament Scripture, lambs and bulls, but he said, listen, you all are taking another animal's blood in order to take care of things. He says, I'll tell you how much I love it. He says, I'll purchase it with my own blood. Mm-hmm. I'll purchase it with my own blood. So we are bought with a price. Just as the Old Testament, the, the, the times that that groom had to pay a dowry for his wife to be. Christ, in essence, with his own blood has laid down a dowry, if you will, for the church to purchase the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify, Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish Christ says I've done this now and I'm going to sanctify I'm going to cleanse I'm going to wash it with what my word he says you know where a modern day groom may help with a financial side in order to make preparations for the wedding our groom says here's the tool I'm giving you to prepare you for wedding day my word because this word's going to sanctify you it's going to set you apart and this word is going to cleanse you and on wedding day you will be without spot wrinkle or any such thing if you use the tool that I've given you Here it is right here. Here's a tool of preparation for wedding day for the church. He'll cleanse us. He'll sanctify us. He'll render us without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Amen. Holy. Amen. Without blemish. If we just use the tool that he's extended to us in order to be that glorious church. Verse 28, Brother Zach. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hateth his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church as much as you love and care for your own personal body and the primping in the morning might prove it we won't put a time frame on it but as much as you care for and love your own personal body Christ loves you in a degree beyond even that you are his bride. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Whenever God wanted to compare the relationship that he had with his people, the church, he chose the most intimate relationship in all of creation, a marriage. He could have chose other things to make the similarity or the parallelism, but he chose the most intimate relationship in all creation, the marriage relationship, whenever he wanted to compare his relationship with the church. That bride is going to take on the bridegroom's name. Amen. She is going to forsake all others, and they're going to cleave to one another and to share the same home the same pleasures the same bed the same experiences in essence two are going to become one amen so we speak about the the the, the bride of christ also this 
church terminology, it speaks about the body. You hear a lot about the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. Some scriptures here, the Bible says, For as the body is one and have many members, and all the members of that one body being made, being many are one body, so also is Christ. So the church is here referred to. <clears throat> For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. So we're baptized into the church. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. The church, it's not one member but made up of many members like our natural body. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Now, I think it's without saying, but I'm going to say it. Everybody's not going to be a musician or else the church would be a symphony and not a church. Everybody's not going to be a preacher or else we'd be a ministerial organization rather than a church. Everybody's not going to be a singer, else we'd be a, a choir or a chorus group and not a church. Everybody's not going to be a teacher, or else we would be a teacher's organization and not a church. So it's important and vital that we find out where God wants us and has called us into the church to serve as a member, a part of this body called the church. Amen. So, Brother McGee, how do I find out where my position is in the body? Well, why don't you ask the head? Amen. Don't you ask the head. Verse 19, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He's telling us that the hand is just as necessary as the eye, and the eye is just as necessary as the hand. Your pinky on your finger or on your toe, wherever it may be, is just as important as the other one. In other words, what he's telling us is without any one member of the body, the body is incomplete. The body is, if anybody, <laughs> we get all these body words going, if anybody, or maybe I'll say anyone so I don't have the body body. If anyone is missing a member of their body, whether it's internally or externally, that, that is seen as a challenge or a disability or a handicap because it renders the body incomplete. And so for one member, even one, to be missing is to render the body incomplete. Verse 22, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness for our comely parts have no need but God hath tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another and whether one member suffer all members suffer with it or one member be honored all the members rejoice with it now ye everybody say us are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, there's something you need to understand. God wants and desires to place you in the body as it pleases Him. As it pleases Him. Now, here's the thing. I've been in some places sometimes in the body. It didn't please me. But it's not, that's not, that's not the ticket. As it pleases me, it's as it pleases Him. And the master builder knows best where you need to be and where you need to function. And you are the body. Look, look, and I don't, my wife probably didn't get this up there, so I'll just read it, Brother Zach. I had the same, same passage of scriptures that I just read in the Message Bible. She had it. Well, bless her little pea-picking heart. Amen. Uh, uh, I'm starting with verse, can we go down to verse 21, if you will? I won't go through all the hoops. Thank you, brother. He's doing good. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower part, 
the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependeth on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we depend on every other part. Oh, I, I, sorry. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt. Sister, I heard Sister uh, Trout. Yes, it does. She should know. Every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept you, your part of the body does your part mean anything. I like that. Only as you receive or accept your part of, your, of the body, your part means anything. So we all have a certain role to play in the body of Christ. We all have an individual function in the body of Christ. And all these members compose a team called the body or the church. And so we must strive as individuals to fulfill our individual function because when we, when we listen, when we fulfill our individual function, then we fulfill the overall function of the body amen and so we got to be mindful of one another because again we're not islands alone we're all interconnected to one another and we need one another the bible says in philippians 2 3 uh, brother zach let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than him themselves verse 4 look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Now, why in the world would you do that? Well, they're a part of the same body I'm a part of. In order for us to function and do as we need or must, then we all got to be cooperating and doing as we have been prescribed to function. We all got to operate the way that we've prescribed to function. We don't play solo. We always play, act, work in harmony with the rest of the body. So you are the body of Christ. Number three, and I'll close with number three. We'll see if we can get through it. I'm making you nervous. Make you think I'm turning about. 15 pages. The third thing is we are the building of Christ. Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon, I made reference to the scripture earlier, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom? Christ. The apostles, prophets. All the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we're a part of this building of God. We make up the habitation of God. Amen. Whenever you look at a building, you go outside and you look at our building this morning, it's not just one brick can pull itself away from the wall and say, hey, I'm the church. No. It's all of those bricks together and the mortar and the building that makes the building the building. Amen. Mortared and fused and fashioned together. Amen. And so as the building, as the building, we are all built, as the building, we all are built then, must be built on the same foundation. If you're a part of, the, if you're a part of this building, you've got to be built upon this foundation. Does that make sense? If you're part of the church, that the similarity is the building. If you're part of the church, then the church has one foundation. Not multiple choice. Not this is just as acceptable as this is. No. We are built upon the same foundation. He described us as a building. Amen. And so the building has one foundation. And so whenever you look back over the metaphors, and I'm running, running stretch home, you look back over the metaphors of the church, some of the major ones, we're the bride of Christ, we're the body of Christ, and we are the building of Christ. And all of those uh, metaphors, bride, body, building, they all come with their own distinct responsibilities and privileges whenever you look at this, whenever you consider this. Uh, the church is not an I thing. The church is a we thing. 
I'm not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. I'm not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. I'm not, pastor's not the building of Christ. But it's all of us interconnected and codependent that become the building of Christ. And so as that, we have responsibilities. Again, as I said from the forefront this morning, the church, though, is just a temporary work of God. It will come to an end. As we've been discussing on Wednesday nights, blindness in part came to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become, come in. But whenever that's said and done and the rapture of the church takes place, the church age has come to an end and there will be no more of this concept if you will of the church the church has a purpose and a plan amen and so what we must do as people is to become a part of the church while we have the ability to be a part of the church amen if you'll stand with me this morning the church so we we have involvement we have responsibilities we have privileges we have individual functions that contribute to the overall function of the body more than anything probably excited me this morning speaking about us and the concept of the bride and so we are the bride of christ we are the bride of christ we're the church that's waiting and making preparations for the bridegroom we're not distancing ourselves but we're drawing near to him we're using the tool that he gave to us for means and methods of that preparation that is a, all that that model within itself is a very good thing to measure our lives by as the church and individuals in the church i'm about that's what you need to just just think about from day to day whenever you get up in the morning just remind yourself i'm getting married here real soon i don't know the exact date but i know it's soon well how i mean how would you like an open-ended thing like that with your groom now we're going to get married i'm not telling you when but it's going to happen soon. Now, how frantically would you work and operate to make sure all things were in order for no matter when it was going to happen, next month or three months from now? You're going to make sure things are sured up as quickly as possible because you're not sure when the date's going to happen, but you know with surety it will happen. We are in that same pocket this morning. I don't know exactly when, but I have the blessed assurance that it will. And so I am in preparation mode now, doing everything that can be done, amen, to be a part of that blessed going up morning, amen, or evening or whenever it shall be someday, amen, to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.